The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. Midway through their first semester or at the end of their first semester, and they've done poorly in some of the courses in that major, that's when the truth comes out that they really, they don't have the passion in that major. If your student is going to live on campus, they will need twin extra long sheep. The first thing people get wrong. The first thing people get freaked out about. The majority of students who enroll in college don't graduate in four years. Is my kid going to make friends? Are they going to fit in? Are they going to find their people at college? Are they going to fail a class? Between Beth and I, we have worked in higher education for 50 years. We really think that there's some opportunity for some great dialogue. From the Pod 617 studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's Twin XL. Now here's your hosts, Laura DeVoe and Beth Grampetro. I don't know if we've ever told uh, the people no. our, our, our origin story. Our like, origin story. <laughs> yes. And by origin story, I mean like how and why we know one another. Yeah. Um, so Laura and I actually originally met because we used to work together. <laughs> wow. <laughs> And then we were bit bitten by radioactive spiders. I'm yes, kidding. exactly. So we used to work together at Boston <laughs> University, and um, the bulk of our time working together, our office was actually on the same floor as BU's Disability Services, Services Office, office. Yeah. Um, which was wonderful. They were awesome neighbors. It, it uh, allowed for a lot of like um, helping students connect with both of our offices yes. if they needed it. Um, but the thing that was so wonderful for me was it really was an insight into like what that meant Yes. Um, on such a large campus that there were folks there who did extra tutoring and executive functioning coaching. There were people that were sign language interpreters. There were people that helped students with mobility impairments and all just the, the sort of scope of what disability meant yes. on a campus yeah. um, was something I was pretty ignorant of before working there. Yeah. And, and I think, and this is a shout out and God rest his soul. There was a man who ran the office by the name of Alan McCurdy, Mm -hmm. um, who has since passed away. Um, and, but Alan really informed a lot of not only my attitude towards what should be good disability services on a college campus, but also what should be a good human. So I know I usually am kind of flippant and weird and kind of derogatory on this, this, podcast at times, but um, <laughs> Alan was truly a, a, a wonderful soul, and I'm about to cry a little bit, but he is just a wonderful person and did great and good work, and so um, he really informed that, but uh, for that reason, I'm, I'm very excited for our guest today. Yes. Um, and uh, we have a guest, and if you don't mind me, I'm going to introduce Chip, and then I'm going to turn things over to Beth. Um, Chip oh. Kennedy is on uh, with us today, and uh, I've known Chip for a while. Chip and I actually worked together at Babson College college several years ago. Um, and um, I do uh, consider Chip to be a wonderful human as well. So Chip, can you uh, introduce yourself and uh, uh, say hi? Hi. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my name is Chip Kennedy. Uh, my official title is an accessibility consultant at Harvard University. Nice. And that means Chip's smart. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he works at Harvard. I, well, that okay. was assumed. That was assumed. Already. Yes, exactly. So, <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your background, Chip, and then we'll uh, get into it. Sure. So I've been working in higher ed for 20 years now, um, and that has been entirely in disability services. Um, For the large majority of that time, it has been working solely with students and 
um, consulting with faculty. Um, in my role now, uh, I, that has expanded, and I am working with providing accommodations for employees, faculty, and staff. Um, cool. So that has given me a, a broader range of those that I'm working with. Um, and the accommodations really range everything from your typical, you know, needing additional time on projects to um, physical accessibility um, within an office space or um, within a building, something like that. So just to kind of uh, ease the parents in, <laughs> Chip, yeah. can you talk a little bit about um, what uh, what does it mean when a student has a disability? Like what, how do we know? Yeah. I mean, for some parents and students, it's going to be something they've known for a long time and have been working with their um, students K through 12 institutions on IEPs and such, but are there um, things that students may be dealing with that they didn't realize they could get accommodation for, um, given that the ADA defines a disability as something that interferes with a major life function? So what does that cover? Sure. So the ADA really protects or is meant to protect an individual with any type of disability. For students who are making that transition into the college environment or have actually been in the college environment for a while, if they have not previously either known about their disability, if they've never been identified as having a disability, or they may be very familiar with that and have chosen not to utilize that, then there's a, a wealth of uh, resources available specifically in the disability services field um, that can be provided to that student. Mm -hmm. uh, and it can be anything from academic related accommodations in their coursework to physical accessibility in the classrooms, in the residential halls. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a wide variety of services that are available to a qualified student. And the Disability Service Office really works with a wide variety of departments within an institution um, when it comes to implementing these accommodations. The, you know, I think one of the things that people come in, um, Chip, with this idea of what is, uh, what are the, what are those expectations that they had from K through 12 versus um, higher ed? Is there, you know, as you've been working with parents, what is maybe one of the things that they, they kind of stumble with the most um, in terms of, you know, they're having a little bit of uh, culture shock because in the K through 12 environment, there's a lot of things that are provided um, de facto, um, but in the higher ed environment is not. What are some of the things you've had to kind of coach parents through in terms of their expectations? One of the common uh, issues is that parents are under the impression that they have uh, complete access to their child and the services that are provided to them. Um, they think too often, unfortunately, parents will try and take care of everything for their child. They will be the ones who are contacting our office. They'll be the ones who are 
providing the documentation. They'll be the ones actually who are attending the orientation sessions in place of their child. They're trying to take on everything for their child. And unfortunately, we are limited as to what we can share with a parent um, when it comes to as to whether or not their child is utilizing services, receiving services from a disability service department. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also really critical as the child is entering the college environment that there's a shift and they really must take on a lot more responsibilities than was the case in K through 12. K through 12, it is the school district's responsibility for finding the student who has a disability, evaluating the student, and providing the services that are entitled to that child. It's quite the opposite in higher education. Though the disability service office can really promote the services that are available, we can't actually recruit students. We have to wait until they have contacted us, until mm-hmm. they have knocked on our door, have set up an appointment, have and go through the process. Um, it's really that responsibility is entirely on the shoulder of that young adult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I think one of the things that that I've noticed too, and and we can talk about this more after the break, but I think that. What I also have seen when a student is getting good disability services and is actually learning how to become a self-advocate, which I do want to talk about more, is that idea of at a point, depending on what their major is or what their specialty is, um, they may not be utilizing the traditional um, accommodations as much. So, for instance, when I was working with some students who um, I had a lot of students in my previous institution um, that were game design majors, um, video game design. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. And, and there was a percentage of those students who um, were uh, receiving accommodations because of um, their, they were on the autism uh, spectrum and they um, were receiving all kinds of accommodations. But when they got into their game design classes, uh, they were drop, they were not asking for those accommodations any longer in those classes, in the, maybe their, their standard history class or a literature class where they needed say extended time or um, distra- distraction reduction and, and that sort of thing in terms of accommodation. But when they got into the game design classes, they didn't need as much. And what they articulated to the disability services office on the campus was, you know, if I feel more confident in these classes. They're, they're more in line with my, um, my desires, my academic pursuits, my passions. Well, and their strengths. And their strengths. And so uh, do you see that um, when people get to be a bit more in, engrossed in their major? Or what are, you, what are your thoughts on that? To some extent, that is the case. Too often, unfortunately, I am dealing with students who have come into college with a, they've already determined what their major is. And through discussion, I learned that they really don't have an interest in that major, Mm -hmm. but they are going down that road because of the pressures of their parents. Ah. Um, And very often uh, a case like this comes up when 
I will find that either midway through their first semester or at the end of their first semester and they've done poorly in some of the courses in that major mm-hmm. and you have the conversation that's when the truth comes out that they really they don't have the passion in that major um, it's in something in entirely different and but it's those pressures from family members that it's being put on their shoulders and then it's we can't force them to make that change and explore or go down the road of where their passion is. That's a decision that they have to decide on themselves. And that might be a, a good conversation to have mm. with a, with a uh, mental health counselor mm-hmm. about how best to handle that. Well, that was great, Chip. We're going to take a quick break um, and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk a little bit more about um, ADA and 504 and all kinds of other letters and numbers. Alphabet soup. Alphabet soup. <laughs> take a quick break. Twin XL is supported by Sunstein, Kahn, Murphy & Timbers, a boutique law firm specializing in intellectual property. Sunstein's attorneys are passionate representatives of their clients' ideas, technologies, and brands. And Sunstein's broad range of expertise in the intellectual property field, including patent and trademark litigation, sets it apart from the competition. Visit Sunstein at sunsteinlaw.com. That's S-U-N-S-T-E-I-N law.com. Contact Sunstein to see how your intellectual property can be winning intellectual property. We're back and we have Chip Kennedy with us. And um, Chip, let's talk a little bit. You mentioned in our first segment about um, some of the differences between the K through 12 system and um, and higher education and how, you know, students with disabilities in higher ed have to self-identify and, and reach out for the resources that are available to them. Um, and a little bit about the kind of negative impact it can have if a parent is doing too much for the student mm-hmm. and not coaching them to be an advocate for themselves. What um, what kinds of tips would you have if you, you know, and you have an audience of parents right now. So yes. for this audience, audience of parents, what would you tell them to do in place of doing it for their student? Sure. One of the recommendations or what I would say to parents is um, there's nothing wrong with them getting a complete understanding of the the process involved in having their child when they enter college and what they must go through in order to potentially receive services, accommodations. Um, It's critical though that their child understands that and, and learns that same information as well because they're the ones who are actually going through that themselves. Um, so having the child actively involved in the whole process, I think, is absolutely critical. Um, one of the things you touched on is that distinction between K through 12 and higher ed. And if, if you don't mind, I'd just like to um, give a brief uh, distinction between the two, if that's okay. No, absolutely. Please do. So K through 12... Um, they operate on the IDEA, um, which is the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. Uh, It has been in place since 1975. And what that entails is it enables an individual, a child with a disability, 
to, to receive services either from age birth to age 21 or until they have graduated high school, whichever comes first. Once they have graduated high school, they are no longer eligible to receive those accommodations or services through the IDEA. At the college level, we operate on the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and 504 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. With these federal regulations or laws require is that students can receive, may qualify to receive accommodations and services. They may be very different than or the accommodations may not, may not be as comprehensive as they may have received in K through 12. So that is one of the distinctions between the IDEA and the ADA slash 504. Mm -hmm. I've heard, I, I did um, disability accommodations as part of my job at another school like 10 years ago. So this, the phrasing I'm about to put out there might be way out of date and I'd love for you to comment on it, Chip, but I remember it being described to me as accommodations in K through 12 look towards success and accommodations in higher ed look toward access. Does that seem like a good description or maybe not? That is right on. Oh, cool. Absolutely. Good for you, Beth. Hey. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> you, win, you, you win the prize. Win. There we go. Hey, what do I get? There we go. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't even have to phone a friend. So we're excited. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. Um, in in K through 12, it's, it's not only, it's really giving access. And so a child, as they're going through K through 12, it's the school district and working with parents, working with their uh, teachers, perhaps a probably a special education teacher, um, they may have uh, modifications in the coursework. Mm -hmm. At the college level, it is quite different. The ADA and 504 does not guarantee success. Mm -hmm. It simply gives access to a student with a disability. Mm -hmm. So by providing accommodations, it's equaling the playing field so that they have the same opportunities to earn an education. But, and I emphasize this every time, this does not guarantee that the, the child, or in this case, the young adult is going to succeed and is going to earn a degree. And that's one of the very important uh, uh, distinctions and, um, or failure that I see is common in, in families is they think that, especially with parents, they think that their son or daughter is going to be guaranteed success at the college level. Mm. And that is quite the opposite. It's simply giving um, him or her that access to an education, but we cannot guarantee that. I think a, a phrase that came up a lot in both when I was doing disability work and then even just working with the disability and accessibility folks on other campuses was essential elements of the curriculum. Yes. Which is to say that in college, there are things about the curriculum that cannot be altered. Right. Um, and accommodations can work to, like you said, level the playing field for a student, but they have to 
essentially complete the same work as other students. Correct. It, it, a child may receive modifications in terms of the work. And by modifications, it, it's not, they may, re, it's not meaning that they're going to receive a, uh, they'll have to be required to do less work. Mm -hmm. That's not the case. It may be based on the disability rather than having to write a paper. They may be given the accommodation of being able to present that in a PowerPoint presentation or in a verbal presentation. There needs to be a mastery of the of the uh, of the material. Of the material. Yeah. Um, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, but it is not. It is not modifying or changing the curriculum and the the work that is being required. Mm -hmm. And that and that comes up not only in classroom but also in an internship or something like that. I've seen um, when I was overseeing a disability services office, I reported to me we had an issue with uh, students who were out in the field um, doing an internship, and there were certain requirements of the workplace that they were doing the internship about timeliness and about being on time um, and the type of work that was being done. You had a you had a, not necessarily clock in, clock out, but there was an expectation about hours. And um, students who f there was a couple students who flunked their internship. Because because of a failure to um, be on time and they were seeking an accommodation because of um, a documented disability and it, it went back and forth for a bit of time and it ended up that because they did not feel like they mastered the requirement of the internship. Um, can, thoughts about internships and about where accommodations do affect internships because this also gets a little shaky because your work as the disability per person on a campus does not go into a workplace. Um, so what have you done um, and what are some tips for people when their kids are going out into an internship or assistantship environment where you're actually off the campus? I've done a lot of partnerships with the career services department at various institutions that I've worked. Mm -hmm. um, it has usually been the career services that has had the responsibility of working and providing internship opportunities for students. And so I've worked closely with them to make sure that students understand that they, the accommodations they're receiving at the co in the college environment may not necessarily apply in the work environment mm -hmm. depending on what that internship is. Um, and the other thing to keep in mind is that students may be very hesitant to disclose their disability in the workplace environment, whether that be an internship mm -hmm. or after they've actually graduate and they're and they're interviewing and they're actually beginning to work, um, they may be afraid or very hesitant to be able to disclose their disability, um, and so that's a a big issue that they need to keep in mind as they are going through, especially um, 
internships, as we've talked about, or, or if it's their, their senior year and they are preparing to go on internships or go on interviews, rather. That's one of the issues that they need to keep in mind, whether or not they are going to pursue receiving accommodations uh, once they are working full time. Um, some of those, some of the accommodations that are provided in the college, in the, in college, doesn't necessarily apply in the work environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may not. They're probably not going to be given additional time to get a project done. If their if their supervisor, if their boss says to them, "This project needs to be done by this date," mm-hmm. it's got to be done, and right. so they need to figure out how they're going to get it done in time by that date. Uh, An accommodation cannot be provided in that case. Great. And I think that's great because we're going to go into the next break. And uh, after that, we're going to talk a little bit more about students wanting to maybe go it alone and, and not take people up on the accommodations. And, and that's a perfect segue. So thank you. And we're going to take a quick break. From pod617.com, the Boston Podcast Network, it's Higher Ground with higher education attorney, John Graff. We are dealing with issues that are breaking on an hourly basis sometimes in higher ed. What we wanted to do was actually bring the information to the listener at a time when it's convenient for them. Succinct, brief, punchy discussions with people who have experience and particularly through the lens of the people on the ground in higher ed. Higher ground. Go to pod617.com. Join the pod revolution in pod we trust. Okay, we're back. Um, So Chip Kennedy is with us and I would love, Chip, for you to talk a little bit about um, what if a school, college, or even an internship site is not providing what a student should be getting in terms of accommodations for their disability. Um, And I don't mean because the student isn't using them or didn't ask, but, you know, they've gone through the process and still there is some kind of roadblock that they've hit. Um, At what point should a parent feel like they need to get involved in advocating in that situation? What's, What's kind of the line between the parent can still promote the student doing it for themselves and know you really need to kind of step in and help your your student out. Sure. So one of the things first to keep in mind is that until the child has signed a release, uh, the, uh, we'll say, caseworker within the disability services office, our department will not be able to share any information with the parent. Uh, they won't necessarily, they can't necessarily say whether or not the, their child has been utilizing services, what the accommodations are. So that's one of the things that needs to be kept in mind. If a, if a parent wants to be able to have a conversation with the caseworker, then the child is going to need to work with that department and sign a release that will give them permission Mm -hmm. to have a discussion with the parent. Then it would be important for the parent to get a full understanding of, of the issue. Too often a parent may jump to the defense of their child without getting a full understanding of the sequence of events, what has gone on that 
is is the issue. So as a parent, I would highly recommend go in, try and play a neutral role and collect some information from the disability service office to get a better understanding of what the issue is. Going back to your initial question, if the issue is that their child is not receiving all of the accommodations or even any of the accommodations that they feel that they qualify for, again, find out why that is. Find out what the justification is on behalf of the Disability Service Office, why they're not providing that accommodation. Mm -hmm. If they feel they have a true argument here, the next step would be to find out what the uh, complaint process is for that institution. And every be, institution needs to have a complaint process. Mm-hmm. That, is a, that is a requirement. Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. And so it, it will vary depending on the size of the institution as to who the individual is. But absolutely, if, if the parent and specifically if the child wants to put in a formal complaint based on the services that are that are not being provided, they need to find out what that process is and then they can pursue that. And I just want to kind of touch back on something I mentioned before in the middle segment that I have done disability accommodations as part of a job that I had at a college. That's not my training. No. It's not my area of expertise. I literally was shown like, this is how we keep track of the students. And then we do this and like what the process was, but I had no formal training in it. This is not uncommon, especially Mm -hmm. at smaller colleges. It's not true everywhere, but just, and this is not to say to any parents out there, if your student has a disability and is going to go to a small college, like, oh no, all is lost. It's not about that. But know that like the amount of resources or sort of the, the person power dedicated to this stuff on campus is not uniform. Mm-hmm. And that while colleges are hopefully all meeting whatever requirements they need to meet legally in this space, you might not necessarily be at a place where right. the accessibility office is staffed with even more than one person for and- starters and necessarily someone who has who is an expert like Chip or someone else that has a lot <laughs> exactly. of experience with it. Um, and it, I will say this is yeah. that one of the things that happens is students who are um, potentially have gone to um, institutions or, or high schools, um, maybe even a therapeutic high school where they've gotten a lot of attention, a lot of assistance. Um, they sometimes often gravitate towards small colleges because of the high touch that the small colleges have sold them. Okay, which is which is a reality. Small colleges are very much about the high touch, Um, but also small colleges are also not necessarily deep on the bench in terms of services and human beings doing those services. And Beth's experience as an administrator at a small institution um, where she was, you know, running health and wellness services, but this was also a piece of her job was to oversee the disability piece. That is, as she said, not atypical. Um, 
from that idea, that does not mean that um, if from us, you know, you, you might be panicking right now as parents going, but wait a second, my kid's going to a small college and what do I know? And it's like, no, there are certain policies and, and there are certain things that these institutions need to align by. It may not be as defined as one super office with all the disability services coming out of it. It may be a little bit more I hate to say fractured, but it it may be uh, a little bit more dispersed. Um, But that will also mean from uh, your child being able to track where their services are being provided and going to the right offices, they may need to go to multiple offices. Uh, Chip, is that about right or what are your thoughts on that? You're absolutely correct. Uh, And it's very important for parents. It makes me happy when Chip says I'm right. (laughs) (laughs) It's really important when a family is looking at colleges to really, um, if if a child is is qualifying and wants to be able to utilize disability services, it's important for them to really look into the size of the institution and the type of attention he or she will be given when attending that institution. If you're looking at a, at a small college because you think you're going to get that attention, well, it may be the disability services may be a one-person department that I was in that role at most of the institutions that I've worked at. I'm, I was one-person department. Smaller schools, especially with financial constraints these days, th- that individual is going to be playing multiple hats So the disability services may only be part of their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. On the other end of the spectrum, you may have, if you're looking at a big university, the disability service department may consist of five, six, seven people, but they're also dealing with hundreds of hundreds, if not thousands of students utilizing those Mm -hmm. services. And again, the type of attention that they may or may not be getting there may vary, just as it is with a small college. So it's really something that that they need to look into as they're going through the process of looking at various institutions. Right. And I think that that's really a good point. I think the last thing we want to go out on um, is this idea of uh, going it alone, Um, and I I know we talked on this a little bit earlier, but sometimes, you know, you kind of come in and, and one of our previous episodes, Chip, we talked about, you know, when students get on campus and kind of wanting to define themselves and get away from whatever was defining them in high school. Um, and for some of our students with disabilities, that disability may have felt like something that definitely defined them in their high school environment for whatever reason. Um, and then they walk onto the campus and they said, I want to redefine myself. And for some students with disabilities, say, I'm going to go it alone. I'm not going to get the services. Um, if a parent is hearing those kinds of um, ideas or uh, from their child, um, what are your thoughts on what they could do to coach their child about what, the, what, what really they should be doing to align themselves for success? Well, once again, you're right on target. <laughs> um, it's quite common for first semester, first year students. Uh, they want that new identity and they don't want to rely on receiving accommodations and services from disability services. Um, I would recommend to parents that they 
have that conversation with their child before they even begin college to make sure that they that they all understand the process involved to be able to utilize the services and then to really stay on top of him or her to make sure that they're they're utilizing the services. It's critical that they have met with disability services, provided the appropriate documentation, understand what accommodations they qualify for, and then at that point they can make the decision as to whether or not they want to utilize it or not. Too often I've gone through the process where first-year students haven't done anything about that in the first five, six weeks of their first semester, and then they hit that first series of exams, and they bombed because they haven't received accommodations, and then they'll come knocking on my door and spend the remainder of that fall semester trying to make up for that, that mistake. You really, as parents, you really want to work with your child in advance to make sure that they don't have to go down that road, but that they are very familiar with this process right from the start and that they've registered. And then it's really up to them as to whether or not they want to utilize it. Cool. Okay. Well, that, I think, brings us to the end. Yes. We would like to thank Chip Kennedy. Chip, you're always so smart. <laughs> And I'm not just saying that because you agreed with me. (laughs) Thank you so much, Chip. We really appreciate you being on the show with us. And this was a really important episode. We were asked for this. So thank you very much. So just a reminder, if you would like to um, support our podcast with a monthly contribution of as little as a dollar a month, you can find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. You can also find us on Twitter at TwinXLPod or send us an email at TwinXLPod at gmail.com and also find us on Facebook. We would love to hear from you. Exactly. Um, This is a production of Pod 617 and our producer is the fabulous David Yes. Well, since you're calling me fabulous, maybe I'll produce something here. Did we mention how to get in touch with Chip? uh, Oh, Chip, how can folks get in touch touch with with you? you? Sure, they can send an email to very easy. It is chip underscore Kennedy at harvard.edu. Thank you, awesome. Chip. Thank You're the you best. Again, chip. Thank you. Mm-hmm.